Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 95 for August 30th, 2012. This is our 37th 90s episode. The Big 3-7. That's right. We're getting close to episode 100. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, something, something worth celebrating, just not sure quite how we would celebrate it. Yeah, I don't think we are going to celebrate it. Right now, on the docket, we're going to do ongoing issues number 10, 11, and 12. Well, I, I, my eyes are going to be open for noisemakers, my friend. All right. Maybe we should get a uh, a studio audience here to kind of like, you know, ooh and all as we're going through the, co- the podcast. Wow, that's a great idea. Would anybody out there actually listening, all two of you, <laughs> anybody be interested in... <laughs> Hey, and being part of the studio audience. We're hey. getting more than two or three people that have actually acknowledged that they listen. Oh, cool. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that is good. It's one thing to listen in silence. It's another thing to actually say, hey, guys. How's it going? I listen. Good. And I will be counting. <laughs> You're now validated. Yeah, excellent. Because, doggone it, we need validation. It's true. Okay. It's true. So, like I said, episode 37 of the 90s, and we're covering Next Generation 43, 44, and 45. Great. Finishing off the Star Trek Next Generation Death Star episode. <sighs> yes, the, uh, the far-distance traveling transportation machine that just so happens to look exactly like the Death Star. Except it doesn't shoot. No. It, it just transports people. Right. Ships. Big things. But uh, we don't know yet if the uh, saucer section is going to make it home. Uh, I have my doubts, my friend. Oh, wow. Gosh. I, you know, I don't know. It, it does look like it's going to be challenging. But I think Riker will come up with something. I just have a feeling. Well, you want to jump in and find out? Let's do it. Okay, so issue number 43 came out February 1993. Uh, let's see what it is entitled. Strange Bedfellows. And the writer is Michael Jan Friedman, penciler Peter Krauss, inker is Pablo Marcos, letterer Bob Panaha, colorist Julianne Farider, Alan Gold is the empath, which I'm assuming means editor. Trying to be cute there with the credits. All right, so uh, the cover has the saucer section flying towards the top of the page. Uh, with a Stizon ship slightly in front and below. Uh, the bottom of the page has headshots of Riker, Mott, and Alexander. And it's kind of interesting the way it's drawn, because uh, Riker has his shoulder, and it looks like Mott and Alexander's heads are growing out of it. Uh, I highly recommend you to look at it and have a little chuckle. And uh, the uh, little splash... Uh, on the top of the page says final gambit. All right. So in the captain's ready room, Riker is going over current events. He is in command of the saucer section in some unknown part of the galaxy with season ships hanging close by. 
The Enterprise crew have located another Death Star transporter machine, but without the star drive, it will take a year to get there, and they do not have enough fuel. In mid-thought, Riker has an epiphany and rushes to the bridge. He orders Desora to open communications with the Stizan ship. Once Remond, as you know as the Stizan commander, is on the screen, he suggests that the Stizan ship tow the saucer section to the machine and they can both go home. He points out that they need each other and that they will have to trust one another. On the Stizan ship, Ramond is reminded about the noble acts performed by Lieutenant Oliver last issue, when she risked her life to save a Stizan warrior that was being crushed. He thinks that these humans may have a code of honor after all. In Worf's quarters, Mott is checking up on little Alexander. He gives Alexander a quick update on the situation, and even states that he has an idea for a possible solution. At first, he does not want to tell Alexander his idea, but Alexander coaxes it out of him. We flash back to the ready room, where Alexander is laying out Mott's plan with Riker. It happens to be the exact same plan Riker had just come up with. Riker says that he's going to give this plan a try. And as Alexander is stepping into the turbo lift, DeSora informs the commander that the Stizan have agreed with the plan. On the battle section of the Enterprise, the stick-and-move tactics has taken its toll on the small ship. Phasers are out. Picard makes the tough call. He's going to swing by the machine and pick up the away team and get the heck out of there. He contacts Data, Worf, and Geordi, who are still on the machine, and informs them to prepare for beamout. Worf is devastated that they are not going to be able to retrieve his son. He's even brought to tears, which is no small feat for a species that has no tear ducts. Thank you, Star Trek Six, for letting us know that. The saucer section now hangs above the second Death Star transporter machine. Alexander is telling Mott that his plan has worked. Meanwhile, on the second machine, O'Brien is working in combination with Starfleet and Stizan crew. He thinks that they could get this to work if they can just contact Data on the other machine. He hopes that they're still there. We flash back to the first machine. The crew is getting ready to depart when O'Brien is able to open communications between the two machines over the great distance. Data cancels their plans for beamout and informs the captain of the good news. Picard now has to try to elude the Stizan for some more time to give Data enough time to link up with O'Brien and get the saucer section back. He tries a new maneuver, and it's to just outrun them. Flat out, outrun them at warp 2. Riker and Ramond have a quick discussion about the value of trust. They then fire up the machine and appear in the midst of the battle between the Star Drive section and the Stizan ships. Ramond orders a ceasefire, and Riker informs the captain of the truce. A little bit later, Ramond contacts Picard and commends Riker and Oliver for proving that humans can be honorable. Picard is shocked to hear Oliver's name in such a suggestion. Picard again suggests that the two of them work together to explore the machine. Ramond agrees and says that this time, they'll even ignore the violation of Stizan borders. Picard contacts Riker again, and Riker says that all the accolades for this mission should go to Lieutenant Oliver and his new chief strategist, Mott the Barber. The end. Great. Mott proves himself. I know, right? A worthy 
uh, strategist, a tactician, no less. Yes. And what are the chances that he would come up with the exact same plan? Almost word for word. <coughs> As I was reading the uh, comic, it occurred to me that um, had Riker and Mott talked ahead of time, and were they trying to you know, do something um, to keep Alexander's mind off of his father or something? It just seemed... You know, like like there was some adult manipulation going on here, but uh, nobody ever said anything about that. And then at the end, when Riker and Picard are talking about it, it sounds like it. What happened is what happened. Uh, Mott had the idea. For whatever reason, he involved uh, Alexander, um, and uh, there you go. Yeah, I was a little confused when I read it too. I even had to go back and see if maybe it was one of those weird. We're not telling the story in the right time line right. that the the beginning part really happened after Alexander told him the story or told him Mott's idea, but it definitely is that they just happened to come up with the same idea. Right. Because as Alexander's being scooted out, DeSore is already saying that uh, that Ramond has contacted him and, and given him the okay. So right. uh, And it, they do touch on this a little bit next issue, so we'll probably have comments there. Right, but um, it is confusing. It, it is a little confusing. But the idea that Mott had come up with the idea also is not that hard to believe, since it was like the only other warp-capable <laughs> ship in the area. So, um, it, you know, it, it, I, it, <laughs> I said I said in the previous issue, or at least I thought it. Um, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to, uh, you know, partner up because the other ship's the only thing that can that can travel. Right. Uh, it, it's pretty obvious. And they took they spent a whole page at the beginning of this issue uh, showing Riker basically slowly mastering the obvious. Right. So it's like, oh, did you have to take that 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 many panels for Riker to figure this out? <laughs> Whatever. Yes, he did. <laughs> you took on the Borg, and yet it takes you this long to figure out the obvious? Oh, well. Right. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, and we mentioned it when we did did that episode that we knew that, you know, that's what they were going to have to do, and it's a good thing DeSora saved that one's life because that's going to play into the Stizan's decision to help him. Right. So, surprise, surprise, that's exactly how it went down. Exactly. I just wanted to mention that that still, um, I don't think Oliver intended to save any any stays on. <laughs> it, no, just, I think it was just she dumb luck. Did. Well, she she might have went over there at first because she didn't know if it was a human or a stays on. And then when she saw it was a stays on, she turns around to leave. And then she's like, no, I need to go save him. And she turns around and helps him. <sighs> so she did have a, she made a conscious decision to save his life. And I didn't get that. I know we had this discussion before, and I don't want to dwell on it, but I don't, I don't think she ever had that turnaround point. I, I think she went and thought it was one of her own, you know, the way team. She saw what it was, and then before you know it, um, Doctor Crusher and the others are walking up on them and, and taking care of the uh, the stays on. But well, no, eh, she whatever. she calls Doctor Crusher to come help him. I, 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 we talked about this before, so let's we not did. continue on. <laughs> um, anyway, 
But the important thing is, she is the big hero. Great. Um, but, yeah, well, we'll see this in the next issue. I don't want to jump Right, yeah. This seems like it's the conclusion of the story, but... Uh, and I think maybe it should have been, but... Well, as you pointed out last issue, uh, last episode, you were really concerned about why uh, a certain person was acting a little mopey. <laughs> and that's what the next issue will be about. Yeah, like a lot. So if you remember, people who are listening, <laughs> that might that may play into the next issue. Exactly. Um, okay, good point about Klingons not having tear ducts. I did not remember that. But you remember it now, though, right? Uh, kinda. I remember a little bit about... Yeah, because remember uh, somebody's giving... Um, the the chancellor's daughter a hard time because she didn't even shed a tear when her dad was killed. Right. And then I think it was Chekhov saying that. And then Bones is like, they don't have tear ducts, damn it, <laughs> or whatever. And you know that's exactly the kind of thing that you'd expect McCoy to say, but because apparently he's a doctor and he should know the physiology, I guess that's why they. They didn't have him saying that line. No, they did have him say that. He, they had him say that well, no, she no. didn't have tear ducts. I know, but that's exactly the kind of thing that you... What Chekhov said is the kind of thing you'd expect oh, gotcha. Bones to say. Right, right. You know. And then you expect Spock to point out that they don't have tear ducts. Or whatever. Yeah, actually, that's the way I would have expected such an interaction to go. But... I mean, uh, Bones is a doctor, so... He should know. He probably knows about physiologies of some of the more common alien races. But, but okay, so that aside, Worf crying? He is I'm crying. sorry. Klingon warriors do not cry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't care where he was raised. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I get the thing about Alexander. He loves Alexander. Oh, my son. But come on. He's a Klingon warrior. I don't know. I, I liked that he was crying. Wow. They're very passionate I think, people. I think we'll passion have to, goes both ways. I think we'll have to agree to disagree on this particular point. <laughs> <laughs> no. Worf is for going out and kicking butt. Not not for, you know, crying. Uh, I hear you. Turning on the waterworks. I, I hear what you're saying. But, okay. That's fine. That's fine. So, um, was I mistaken, or on page 11 did Picard's pants turn blue? <laughs> what? Let me look. Page 11? Page 11. Uh, oh, yeah, where he's kind of doing the little shake. The shake. <laughs> well, his the collar's shake? blue, too, so I think it's well, just maybe the lighting. Okay, that, that's my second thing. His collar's kind of a purple. Right. And I don't remember his collar ever being purple before. Yeah, but if you look at Rose, uh, the top portion of her uniform, it's that same blue color. So it's just a well, okay. So it's coloring it, it's, it's a panel coloring or printing or something issue. Right. Well, you know yeah. how Superman has blue hair. In reality, he has black. It's it's the same thing. Oh, <laughs> really? I, I did not know that. So uh, Desora is back in this one. She she takes over in Warp, Warp's absence. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she is a, I'm assuming, black woman, uh, very dark skin with with brown hair. So I don't know if she's supposed to be, you know, um, Hispanic or or black. I don't know what she is, but 
She's definitely not Caucasian. No. Yet, if you recall a few issues ago, I think it was issue... Um, let me look. Issue 30. Yeah. Desora was in that one, and neither one of us knew who the heck she was. Yep. But in that one, she was definitely Caucasian with, with brown hair. I and agree. blue eyes. I agree. So I, I agree. thought it was odd that she suddenly changed nationalities between these issues. Yep. I think her color is almost uh, like Alexander's color. Yes, yes. Um, kind of a medium brown. Um, but, yep. Right, so, you know, I probably should have done this before, but let me check our good friends at Memory Alpha to see if Desora is from the show, because I don't remember her. She was pretty major in her interactions with Riker. Oh, Jenna Desora. Uh, she is white with blonde hair. She's a security officer aboard the USS Enterprise D. Hmm. Well, played by Michelle Scarbali. Huh. Let's well, see what episodes. Um, she's security it makes a sense why she took over uh, War's tactical right. position. She was in one episode called In Theory, which came out in season four. And she's blonde-haired and white, hmm. Asian-colored. Her hair is that is the way it is in this story, with that right. long ponytail. Right. But uh, her coloring is a little off. Hmm. Another another coloring issue I, on I, the comic. Well, yeah. So not only does she not match the the actress, but she doesn't even match what she looked like a few issues ago. <laughs> right. Well, neither does Picard's pants or a turtleneck. <laughs> so. Oh, okay, you're right. I, th- I think we have coloring issues on this one. <laughs> All right, page 15. Okay, let me go to page 15. At the bottom. Okay, the bottom, yes. So that, that picture, is that Data or is that like uh, the man in the moon in, inside <laughs> that helmet? <laughs> yeah, his face looks really broad. It takes up the whole faceplate and it's just all face. Exactly. Yeah, he does kind of look like the man in the moon. Yes. It looks like the guy that was at the the man in the moon face from uh, Moulin Rouge or something. Oh. Just take that face, put it on the moon. Exactly. Have him yeah. start singing. Uh, maybe it's a really thick glass faceplate, but yeah. I don't think Brent Spiner's face has ever been that round before. No, it's, no. it's very comical looking. Yes. What else you got? Um, I don't really have anything else, but I, well, I will mention one thing. Did you refer to the Enterprise battle section as the little ship? Uh, yes, I did say that. That was a, an ad lib when I was reading my notes. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's still pretty big. But it yes, is. It's, it's smaller just, than normal. It's a quite quite a bit smaller than normal. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things I don't like about the Enterprise D is I think the star drive section is too small compared to the saucer section. But that's because of the advanced properties of the ship. You don't I get need that. as big a star se- or drive section. Star I get drive that. Section. But then what happens with the Enterprise E? It becomes all elongated and huge again. And it looks better. I think it does look a lot better. I, I definitely like the E better. But it's a smaller ship, too, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be a little bit smaller. Yeah. Because that, uh, that saucer section is really big. Right. And I'm really. It makes perfect sense. That it can't go, it can't do warp drive and stuff. It's just so. Let's say you separate, 
and you got most of the most of the crew in the saucer section, and you go off and fight the battle, and you get blown up. You get blowed up. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you're really, obviously, the engineers and and the powers that be at Starfleet are really depending upon a rescue mission, because <laughs> that saucer section isn't going to, well, it doesn't have any capabilities as far as getting to places. Right. Can't go that fast, and apparently, the um, it does not have a warp core that can use a matter antimatter, so it's right. pretty limited on its options. Exactly. All you can do is crash into the planet. Exactly. So why separate in the first place? Yes. Well, at least they didn't blow up. They crashed, and you know, thanks to Troy's fantastic piloting skills, some of them still live. <laughs> Even Data's Und- cat lived. Yeah, uh, right. Of course, in, in, in one version of what happened, they all blew up anyway when the planet blew up. But, well, that yeah. was when the planet blew up. That was no, right. no fault of hers. No, no. And uh, just to uh, jump on the DeSora bandwagon one last time, yes, that In Theory episode is the one where he falls in love and she's his companion. The one where he uh, starts up a romantic relationship with her. Oh, Remember that one? Mm, not that much. Where they break up when she asks him to kiss her, and then he sh- she asks, what were you thinking? And he rattles off like 20 things before he finally says uh, he was thinking about the how much pressure he should apply to her lips. And she's like, well, at least you were thinking about me somewhere in there. And then they break up. You know, now that you mention it, I do remember that that episode. And something that was interesting about it, and I kind of liked it, I mean, they, they did explore the idea of a real relationship with an artificial life form. Right. But in the end, I like how it broke up because, you know, for most of the episode, you're like, oh, a romance. He's feeling good. It's, it's moving along. How wonderful for Data. And then in the end, it's like it came back crashing back to reality. He's a he's a machine. He he doesn't. I mean, before having a, an emotion chip or whatever, he's a machine. He can't feel. He can't be in a relationship. I mean, at least not in a you know romantic kind of relationship. Right. Um, I like that episode. That was a very good episode. It was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 kind of sad that I didn't recognize her name. Yeah. But but uh, you know, if you only show up in one episode. I'm, I might not remember your name. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, right. Desora. Well, I remembered even less. Uh, so <laughs> you really reminded me. I did not remember the episode. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah. Okay. I have no right. more. I have no other comments on this one. Me either. I think we've gone on plenty of tangents. Okay. So, um, if we want to go on to issue number four, T four, we can see where all the loose ends tied up. In. Uh, the issue called Restoration. This one's published date was March 1993. Uh, a lot of the folks are the same. Mm, I, I don't know that there's anybody different. Uh, Michael Jan Friedman, of course, writer, Peter Krause, penciler, and I think everybody else is the same also. Right. So, moving on. The cover shows a cool drawing of the Enterprise E in the upper third, along with the w- word Reunion. 
Directly beneath the ship is Data, Worf, and Geordi in their normal uniforms. They're out of the, out of the space outfits. Taking up the majority of the bottom half of the cover is Ensign Rowe's head, along with the words, And Revelations. So we got Reunion and Revelations. The issue opens with Worf, Data, and Geordi transporting onto the Enterprise Saucer Section's transporter pad. Riker, and more importantly, Alexander, is there to meet them. As Worf and Alexander meet in a warm embrace, the others present look on with smiles, except for Data. During this reunion, we are privy to Picard's log entry that tells of Plato's proposition that humanity started out in one flawless being, then at some point split into two halves, uh, men and women. Since then, men and women yearn to reunite again to become whole. Picard extends the idea to say it goes beyond just men and women, but actually to people who yearn to be with other people to make them feel whole. Case in point, Alexander and Worf. As the saucer section and battle sections move towards one another for reunification, Picard extends the idea even further to the ship and her crew. After the ship is reunited again, members of the crew uh, get together with loved ones from the different uh, the two halves of the ship, and they rush towards each other. Picard is receiving promising reports on ship repairs, Likewise, Dr. Crusher is reporting that her overflowing sick bay will likely be empty again in about a week, as long as Picard does not engage in another brawl with the Stasem. Picard says that won't happen, and he expects that further dealings with the Stazon should be violence-free. Riker observes that the Stazon ships depart- are departing the area. Picard says, as they said they would, They leave with a new appreciation of the Federation and how we can move forward working together in peace. Though Picard says they can now examine the alien long-range transportation technology in depth, Riker says there's no reason to stay around, and Picard gives the order to depart the area also. As the crew begins to get back to their lives before the encounter with the giant machine, we observe Geordi in engineering saying how much he missed his big, beautiful warp core. The subject of holidays making one feel good eventually comes up, and that triggers data to observe that holidays have the opposite effect as in Ensign Rowe's case. After hearing her situation, Geordi says he has heard enough and seems resolved to help Rowe. The scene shifts to the site of the Enterprise pool tournament, where Counselor Troy shows the men how the game is played to O'Brien's delight. Her human father apparently taught Troy well. Worf is rushing Alexander to Mr. Mott's barbershop, where Worf expects Alexander to apologize to the ship's favorite barber for questioning his strategic abilities. In the end, Mr. Mott says no apology is needed, since Alexander was instrumental in getting Mr. Mott's strategic suggestion that saved the ship to Commander Riker. Mott goes on to insinuate that it is Worf that owes Alexander an apology. Leaving the barber shop, Worf offers the apology to Alexander for questioning that Alexander would make amends of his own volition. In Picard's ready room, he asks Riker whether Mott really came up with the idea to save the ship. 
Riker tells him yes, but he already had started implementing the same idea when Alexander told him about it. Riker says to let Mott continue to think it was all his idea. Picard agrees. Dr. Crusher has a discussion with Lieutenant Oliver in sickbay. Oliver thinks her actions that accidentally saved the Stazon disgraced her dead Grissom crewmates, but Beverly's golden tongue helps her to see things differently. That despite the revenge she craved on them, the human trait of mercy won out. She says it's what separates the Federation from the other less charitable races like the Ferengi and Romulans. In 10 forward, Worf, Guinan, Geordi, and Data join the still-depressed row. They bring the traditional Bajoran Zarana candle holder to her. That is an artifact central to the Moga Nivan holiday celebration. Roe is surprised and objects at first, but then allows her shipmates and friends to help her celebrate the holiday. Worf lights the first candle of the five candles of the Zarana and continues the story of Gordok's attack on the brave Nivenites that Roe began in issue 39. Worf told how Gordot's attack was met by a great fire the Ninevites built on the land bridge that is the only access to their city. Geordi takes over the narrative and tells how Gordok's armies were stopped and decided to wait out the fire that should soon be run out of fuel. He lights the second candle. Guinan tells how the fire continues to burn into the next morning since the people of Nivan fed it with their homes and all their belongings. She lights the third candle. Data takes over and tells how the fire continued for five full days but finally started to die and with it the Nivan's protection. Data lights the fourth candle. Roe completes the story by telling how the thunderous roar came up not from the attacking Gordok's army, but from behind them. The remaining people from the cities crushed by Gordok took heart seeing the fire of Nivan and rose up to attack Gordok's army from behind. They defeated the tyrant. Ro lights the final candle. Data wraps things up by saying during the Moga Nivan holiday, the five candles of the Zarana are lit to remind all of the Nivan's courage, which needs to burn as brightly in all ages as it did then. Picard, Riker, and the remaining bridge crew join to wish Roe a brave Moga Nivan. The end. Ah, isn't that nice? It sure is. Gosh, I feel almost Christmassy, only with violence. It was basically the Passover, right? Uh, is that what it was? I don't know. That's what I kept thinking. It was like, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Moses. Right. Part in the seas. Right. It falls in behind him and traps the Pharaoh's people. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's what yeah. I was getting out of the story. Cool. Cool, cool. Very nice. But, but it, I mean, it was a very, uh, I mean, I don't know. Was the board Jorans always like that, very religious, even in the early um, Row episodes, or was that something they added in here to kind of 
tie into you know Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine, Nine, which was already being made. I don't remember Roe being particularly religious in yeah, the early days, either. but that definitely is something that was a big deal um, about the Bajorans in Deep Space Nine. Yes, exactly. I think you're right. I think they may have been doing that. Now, do you, do you think that story was necessary? Did you think that entire line about Roe was really added to the story? No, no. Did it? Did did it? Did it match up with anything going on in the story? Did it reinforce anything going on in the main story? No. And in fact, the fact that it took up, let's see, one, <laughs> two, three, four, five pages out of a 22-page book, 24-page book. I mean, that's a good chunk of the book with nothing but them standing around with candles. Right. And then the other half of the book... Pretty much just has warm, huggy feelings. Everybody getting back together again, and then right. finding out about those thing, those different storylines we saw in the first issue, that mm-hmm. um, that were interrupted uh, when they came into contact with the uh, <laughs> with the Death Star. Right. So it's like it's kind of a throwaway issue. It kind of is. Yeah, yeah. So how'd yeah. you like it though? Maybe. What's that? How'd you like it though? I didn't like it. <laughs> it, it, was an epi- it, was a, it was a whole book that could have been told in maybe three pages uh, you could have tacked on a three page epilogue to the end of uh, 43 yeah and and got the whole thing i mean the, sure. the only thing that i think adds some sort of value to the overall story arc was the lieutenant oliver and crusher scene right well okay and that that's fine but again if you take if you took out that that entire scene at the beginning where Data uh, and Roe in the first place were beginning to you know Roe actually began telling the story, it's like right. well that could have gave you some time. <laughs> Here's some time for you can put that in the last issue and uh, <laughs> right and have Doctor Crusher talk to Oliver. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the whole Hank thing that was that was a waste. Of oh, him. that's another one. Oh yeah, I didn't. Even, yeah. And uh, oh, Hank, Hank, yeah. So, so some random crew members, right? Uh, I would have rather have seen, you know, the oh, you know, they, they kind of did the O'Briens, but not really, right? I mean, they're just in this panel where she's screaming out, Hank, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, yeah. But I thought that was kind of weird, and um, and I really did not like the. Oh, I'm a I'm a grand pool championship shark lady, whatever, whatever we call a hustler. Yeah, she was a a, a pool hustler, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was kind of cute and kind of funny, but that also was four pages. So, did we need four pages for? Oh, by the way, I'm a champion billiard player. Exactly. That that you know, a panel could have got that across. Exactly. Or you did. I'll say a panel. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, yeah, no, no storyline movement at all in this this issue. Right. And you know, Worf is acting out of character. So yep. you're sorry. Are well, you exactly. that out of touch, Worf? That you don't know what happened while you were gone. Yeah. You know. Now, now if uh, if he was in the in that briefing with uh, the captain Riker. He might have been a little bit more up on things, but 
Well, you gotta think some time has passed. I mean, is that <clears> literally <throat> the first thing you do when you get off the transporter pad? Change clothes and then march your son down there to, to talk about Well, after you have the big emotional uh, reunion scene, too. I, I love the reunion scene. That I loved. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, he did think that he was going to lose his son, and he thought that he was going to lose his father. Mm-hmm. So them being reunited is the best thing in this book. And it's on the first page. <laughs> <laughs> so it ends quickly. Right. And then the whole Mott thing I, I thought was kind of funny, where Riker's like, no, he, he just happened to have the same idea that I and everybody reading this book had. Uh, but we'll give him credit anyways. That part was kind of cute. But. Yeah, it, it, and that's fine. And, and that's very generous of Riker. Right. So that's cool. But then the other part, where Mott's basically saying, um, actually, Worf, old boy, I think you need to, uh, you know, apologize to Alexander. It's like, eh, really? Really? I don't think so, but whatever. I agree. It, it seemed a little odd. Yeah. I think you owe him an apology. <laughs> Mr. Big Old Bad Man. Yeah. Okay, we definitely had better. So, you know, the, the, I mean, the artwork's pretty good. Um, I, I, I didn't... It, there might have been issues with coloring, but I didn't notice them. <laughs> uh, the only one that I saw with coloring was on... The last page, yeah, um, where everybody's standing in front of a row, and there's like the menorah-looking thing with right. all the candles. Right. One candle has a red flame, and all the other ones have yellow flame. So it just yeah, it's like red or an orange or something. Right. So I, just, I thought that was a little odd. Yeah. I did not notice that. Oh, so, one one thing I did like is when it was all kind of drippy. So, like, on the first page. So they, they, they have Worf and Alexander, you know, hugging and stuff, and then they have the uh, their na- narration from Picard saying, oh, well, people want to be together, and they were split, and blah, 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 blah. All, you know, all this drippy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and everybody's really smiling, and they're all looking at how wonderful it is for Worf and Alexander to be reunited. And, and then... Uh, and then there's Data just kind of standing there, stone-faced. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not not quite getting it. Or just kind of, you know... I mean, I like it because it shows... It underscores how he's kind of an outsider. Right. From the, uh, the human or Klingon experience. Yeah, a living being experience. Or traditional living being experience, I, right. I guess I should say. Right. And the caption on that says, perhaps in the final analysis... It is this very feeling that makes us human. Right. So it's really, really nice. Yeah, it, it underscores uh, the difference there, which is kind of poignant and actually kind of sad for Data. But there you go. But he's the one that then realizes that Road needs some uh, some group time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so on that first page, there's a typo uh, where he's quoting Plato. And maybe oh, uh, Plato just used this word wrong, or Picard is misquoting. But the the very second line in the story says, "Plato proposed van man and woman." Yeah, yeah, it's yep. supposed to be that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I think Plato might have got that right. Or if he did get it wrong, he had a lot of thousands of years of people to, uh, you know, copying right. his work to. Uh, 
Well, actually, a thou- thousand years, right? No, actually, well, not thousands, but well, plus more a than couple, a thousand. Plus yeah. a couple hundred years for Picard. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you got you to gotta factor that in there. You don't know. There you go. There you you go. don't know how slaying might be 300 years from now. Right. All right. My, my last note is that it's in, in the scenes with Lieutenant Oliver and Crusher. Right. It looks like the artists didn't know what to do with their hands. So a lot of times it looks like they're either touching their communicator or grabbing their chest or something. So, like, on page 17, Lieutenant Oliver's doing it, and on page 19, Crusher's doing it, when they're just having a normal conversation. Right. It just, at first I thought, oh, they're they're hitting their communicator pin, and then like, oh, no, they're just, just putting their hand there. Hmm. Do you see what I'm talking about? No. Page 17? Um, I'm looking specifically in 19. At 19, I'm looking at it. Right, so Crusher's and doing so it. Crusher's doing that there. <clears throat> yeah, on the top panel. Okay. And then on seventeen, Lieutenant Oliver's doing it in the top panel. Oh, actually, Crusher's grabbing her breast, her left breast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And now, Lieutenant she, she, Oliver she, she's was not doing, doing the communicator at all. She's just grabbing her breast. <laughs> but like I said, when I was reading it, I thought she was going to the motion of. Hitting our communicators. So then, when I was reading the bubbles, <laughs> I was like, "What? Who is she saying? This? She's not talking to anybody." Yeah, she's just feeling herself up. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, okay, I, I definitely noticed that. But you know, in the case of Oliver, I mean, is she like like her? She's trying to show how how her heart hurts or something. See, I I, I, I thought maybe that was it, but yeah, didn't know for sure. Yeah. That, but yeah, she's grabbing her left breast. That's right. <laughs> Both hands. A twofer. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> think enough on that one. <laughs> what else do you got? I got nothing, man. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, on this one. Right. All right. Well, then, uh, shall we jump into the next? Let's. And I have the privileges. No, the honor of doing this. There you go. Do it. And can I just say that this is... Uh, I won't say it. Let's just read it. Let's let, save your comments for later. After, <laughs> after you read this, this spellbinding story. Right. So this is a one-off. It is entitled Childish Things. The, uh, the staff is a little different. Michael Jan Friedman and Kevin Ryan are the writers. Chuck Frazier is the penciler. And then Pablo Marcus... Bob Panaha and Julianne Frieder and Alan Gold are all the same. So, new penciler and an additional writer. Uh, This came out April of 1993. So, the cover has a picture of Jordy looking up, and behind him is the huge face of an alien boy. And the boy has white eyes, so completely white, no irises, no pupils, anything. And he has purple, pebbly-looking skin. And what looks like maybe a runny nose, but uh, we'll just go with a a nice little sheen under his nose. The caption there on the cover says, Death stalks a blind child, and the world he rules. So the story starts off with the captain's log informing us that the Enterprise has picked up the crown prince of Chorton. The Enterprise is going to be the base for an 
optical operation to affix a visor to the young boy's face prior to him partaking in a deadly rite of passage to adulthood. On the transporter pad, the prince and his aides arrive. As soon as he hears Troy's voice, he knows that she's Beta's head. And he demands that she leave since Chorten people have a deep hatred towards telepaths. The captain is reluctant to do this, but he eventually he agrees to the demands. The group of aliens make their way to their quarters. In engineering, Crusher and Geordi are working with the doctors that will be performing the operation. These are the same four doctors that operated on Geordi 20 years ago. There's a neurosurgeon named John Anders, and he's retelling the story about how young Geordi demanded that he show him every instrument and explain what its use was before he would go through with the procedure. We are also introduced to the other doctors. Uh, there is a man named Felix Carter, a woman named Mara Chang, and a slightly alien-looking fellow named Martin Kane. We learn that Kane was actually Geordi's inspiration uh, into getting into engineering. Geordi tries to show the doctor his latest device, but Kane fumbles with it and drops it. We learn that he has a nerve disorder that prevents him from having fine motor control. In Picard's ready room, Worf and Data are going through the history between the Federation and Chorten. Seems that there was a conflict at an unauthorized Federation colony, and the Chortons destroyed it. The events and the details of this are classified. Picard does break the classification protocol, and he retells the story. There was a human colony that was starting some illegal eugenic research. The colony happened to be in a, on a planet in disputed space with the Chorten, and the Chorten then destroyed it, and there was no survivors. Sometime later, Geordi goes to the prince's quarters and talks to the young boy. He tells him what to expect and what fears he had when he went through the process. At one point, he even takes the visor off and gives it to the boy so the boy could feel what it would be like to wear it. Geordi needs to return to work, and the prince decides to walk with Geordi to continue their conversation. As they walk through the quarters, the computer announces that there's a fire and starts to remove all oxygen in the hallway. Everyone starts to pass out, but Geordi is able to override the console, and the airflow is returned. In the briefing room, the main cast and the Chorten delegation discuss what happened. seems that there is a saboteur aboard. Worf is tasked to do anything he can to find out who did it. In 10 Forward, the doctors and Geordi are having a drink. Kane and Anders have a disagreement about whether they should continue with the operation or not. Kane states that they should postpone for the good of the boy. Anders thinks that they need to continue for the advancement of science. Worf is in full detective mode. He pays a visit to Dr. Anders' quarters, leaving no stone unturned. When the doctor does not answer, he barges in and finds them and unconscious on the floor. He has rushed to sickbay, and we find out that someone has tried to use a neuroscapel to cut out a part of the doctor's memories. Luckily, Worf had interrupted the attacker, and no permanent harm was done. Anders tells the captain that it was Kane. Kane was the attacker. We flash to an interrogation scene with Kane sitting in a chair. Lights are all shining in his face. 
He confesses to everything. He informs the captain that there was indeed a survivor of that doomed colony, and it was him. He has kept the secret all these years due to the illegal research that he was partaking in. However, he wanted revenge on the Chortons, and killing the prince would suffice that urge. When Anders found out, he tried to erase their memories, and he would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those pesky kids. That was a Scooby-Doo reference, not actually in the book. In the briefing room, the prince and his aides are told about Kane's treachery. The prince believes Geordi that the surgery can still be performed safely with Chang stepping in for Anders and Crusher stepping in for Chang. Geordi meets with his former mentor. Kane apologizes for not being the man Geordi thought he was. Geordi says he's sorry too. In engineering, Geordi and Data discuss the events about losing an idol. Geordi looks at the gizmo he was working on at the first of the issue and remembers how Kane fumbled with it. There is no way he could have modified that neuroscapel. There must be someone else. He grabs the gizmo and heads off to stop the surgery. He bursts into the operation room and exclaims that Chang is the killer. She is still in the prep room, and he goes in and he sees her seated, crying. She could not bring herself to kill the young boy. She then tells more of the backstory. She and Kane were actually married on the colony and had a daughter. They both escaped the colony's destruction, but their daughter did not. They never told anyone that they had once been married, and no one will ever know that they had a daughter since all the records of the colony were classified. The boy reminded her too much of her daughter and of Geordi when he was that young. Geordi thinks that she can still do the right thing, and he talks the young prince into allowing her to, to still perform the surgery. He agrees, and the surgery goes off without a hitch. The Chortons return to their ship. The prince is now equipped with his visor so that he can face his trials. Geordi tells Picard that his faith in people has been restored since Chang put aside her hatred to save the boy's life. The end. Wow. Riveting, Another, huh? it, yes. Uh, another lady stepping up unexpectedly to save the day. Like Oliver in the previous issues. Now we have... Right. Uh, Dr. Chang, was it? Chang, right? There you go. Oh. Yes. But here, yeah. she actually tried to kill him first, or was planning to try to exactly. kill him. Exactly. And then had a change of heart. Yeah. And, of course, Oliver, given the chance, would have tried to kill one of the Stazons. But, but she decided to change her mind. There you go. And, and of course, um, you know, all that's important points and stuff, but the most important point are the... New red breasts on the Enterprise. Uh, I miss those. The four red breasts on the Enterprise. What are you talking about? Not just three, not just two, but four. Uh, You're talking about the the first splash page? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The title page, which shows a big old Enterprise D, you know. These are double Ds. These are double Ds next to um, the Chorton ship, which, by the way, looks kind of funky to me, but whatever. Uh, the, the important thing is two red breasts on the nacelles. Yeah, so the nacelles, instead of being the normal oval red at, at, at the end of them, is yes. now like two red sphere almost stuck to the top. To the exactly. Front. They're, they're like... They're like two each at the front of each nacelle, 
You know, it brings new meaning to uh, Simon Pegg's line in the 2009 <laughs> movie. I'd like to get my hands on her ample nice elves. <laughs> and uh, yes, I, th- uh, I, I think I think the drawing <laughs> choices in that particular page are interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm thumbing through it, and uh, the other shots of the Enterprise do look normal. It's just that that <laughs> one. Uh, I mean, it is a new penciler, so he might have just not known what the Enterprise looked like. I don't know. So, Chuck Frazier? Come on, Chuck. Come on. You've never seen the ship before? No. <laughs> Whatever. That's fine. Yeah, that, that is an interesting design choice. Yeah, I just really had to point out the most interesting part of this particular issue. Okay. <laughs> so, again, for you, like like last, last issue, I thought that the best part was on the first page. <laughs> uh, you thought the same thing? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yes. Yes, first page. Enterprise D with uh, four breasts. That's funny. Red ones, no less. Boy, those Chortons are real jerks, aren't they? Except for the kid. The kid's cool. Well, even the kid's a jerk at first. Uh, I recognize that accent. She's Beta Zed. Take her away! (laughs) But, but, sir, she's only half Beta Zed. Take her away! The princess will get... Good point. Good point. But, uh, but I especially like your delivery. <laughs> Anyways, your I thought he was a little brat at the beginning, and then and then he ends up just being the, I'll do whatever you say, Jordy. Just tell me what to do. Exactly. Jordy, is it okay? you're cool, Jordy. Jordy, you're so cool. I want to be just like you, Jordy. <laughs> Only uh, the king of an entire world, or maybe a system of worlds. Other than that, the same thing. Yeah, Jordy's like, I have to go to work. Oh, I'll go with you. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. We can continue to talk. Yeah. Okay. What a, what a, if I was Jordy, I'd be like, you know what? I can just calm you and we can talk on the... I'll walk and you'll stay here. Yeah, after I get done with my shift, we can talk all we want. No, I'd like to come with you now. <laughs> yeah, I thought that Jordy had way too much power over the decisions of this little prince. I mean, he's supposed to be the future ruler of a... System and he's just hanging on Jordy's last last thought. Well, tell me and, what to do, Jordy. And he was wise because you know, as we all know, Jordy's pretty cool. Well, yeah, I'm not Jordy's doubting. Good guy. Doubting his coolness at all, but come on. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to be the ruler of your system, uh, you gotta make a decision or two of your own. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't like that, and I I didn't like the. Uh, I mean, it's really ambiguous as to how much Chang has already done. You know, did she also perform the calibrations on the computer to to take the air out? I right. mean, did she basically do everything that that uh, Kane was telling her to do? I don't know. And she just now is having hard feelings about it. I mean, she did try to cut open her friend's brain. Well, she did that, or Kane did that. I don't know. I mean, he can't hold anything, so how would he be able to do it? Good point. I, mean, no, I think that was part of... Was that part of Jordy's point? Yeah. Anyway. Well, Jordy was saying he couldn't do the calibrations on the scalpel, but I'm going as far as I don't think he could have handled the scalpel, scalpel and cut out somebody's brain <laughs> with uh, right. without just, you know... Without her help. Right? Exactly. So yep. I think that she pretty much did everything, and he was going to take the fall for her because, you know, they... They were lovers at one time. Yeah. 
Well, um, I did think it was very interesting how they spent time introducing us to uh, the folks, the team that gave Jordy his sight. Mm-hmm. I thought it, they, 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 they dedicated a lot of panels to that. Maybe a few too many panels to it. But, you know, there was a mystery going to go on, so I guess you got to find out something about the uh, potential... Um, uh, suspects, right? If yeah, you have a little mystery going, but yeah, I didn't go over it in the synopsis. I just gave their names, but in the book, it gives you a whole dossier, pretty much on each person. You know, right? Like, yep. John Anders, blah 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 blah. blah <clears throat> you know, so. it was unneeded. I mean, yeah, it was a mystery, and you're supposed to, you know, think that which one of these guys did it, right? Oh, both of them did it. Half of them. If well, you, yeah. If you picked. If you just chose one person at the beginning of the book, you'd be right half the time. <sighs> well, yeah, and Kane was kind of a jerk at the beginning, so it was like, oh, well, he's kind of a jerk, and I, you know, they make you not like him because of the way they wrote him at the beginning. Right? You know, it can't be him; it's too obvious. Yeah, uh, and and off, but, and when he's he's having that debate with John, saying we shouldn't perform the operation. We, sh- you know, we should be cognizant of the kid's life, or you know, he's still. This is a person we're talking about, not just a science project. So, I mean, I thought that was a little odd if you were planning on killing him, anyways. Right. Yeah. Good point. But I mean, they did make a note that you know, if he doesn't have the operation, he's going to die. Exactly. He's, so it's can't. like, why are you even argue about this? Yeah. He has to have it, or he's, or his own people are going to kill him. Right. So maybe that's why Kane was like. You know, trying to be manipulative and like, oh, we shouldn't do it because something might happen. No, oh. that if he didn't do anything, they, something bad would happen, anyways. Right. I don't know. I thought that part was a little, little fuzzy. Yeah. I wonder if Anders ends up being the guy that replaces uh, Jordy's visor with the eyeballs, with the artificial eyeballs. With the artificial eyeballs. Yo, know, by the time we get to first contact. Right. Maybe. Maybe. I find it funny that these four guys are still. Working together twenty years later, <laughs> wouldn't you think you move on by then? Right, or or at the very least, if you've been doing it for these many years, you'd have a better visor or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, didn't it look like uh, like he's using the same visor again? Oh yeah, it looked exactly the same. Yeah. So did Jordy? Did Jordy get upgrades? I mean, is the visor he's got now? You know, been upgraded from the original visor he got when he was a kid. I would assume so. I, I hope would so. Ass- I would assume that over time yeah. it got better until eventually they it was yeah. eyeball sized. I mean, if this day and age I get a new uh, smartphone every year or two, I'd be upgrading those uh, those goggles. <laughs> right, and and I would as soon as I could, I would get rid of the uh, hair barrette looking <laughs> thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I, I think I, I think Jordy looked pretty cool with the uh, with the mechanical eyeballs in first contact. Yeah, I yeah, I like that too. Cool. My wife does not. Oh, she likes Jordy with the. She she likes him wearing the banana clip on his face. Yeah, he'll get a lot more chicks this way. She doesn't like the emotion chip, and she doesn't like the uh, the 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 fake eyeballs. But the emotion chip gave Spiner a chance to really get out there and act. Right. Although I must say, I was a little, I don't know, I'm a little on the fence about the whole Mr. Tricorder routine. 
It's kind of funny, but... It's kind of funny, it's kind of weird. Exactly. I mean, I think that's, <laughs> cool. that's why I'm on the fence with it. That, that whole movie was kind of kind of good, kind of not. Right. Well, that... Uh, okay, but that Mr. Tricorder was Generations. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Generations is not one of the better ones. No, but I like Generations. It's an odd-numbered Star Trek movie. It is, but I did I, I did like Generations. Um, huh. Like I said, it's not you know, it's not it, the worst of the odd numbered ones. No, no, but I <laughs> no. Obviously, First Contact was better, but there are certain things about Generations I like quite a bit. Yeah, I I, I like seeing Picard dealing with his mortality and you know lack of having a uh, a son to carry on the name or whatever. Right. So that was kind of a you know dealing with that. I thought that right. was kind of good. Although I, I agree with you, the Nexus really kind of sucked. But whatever. Yeah. All right. So my comment on this issue, uh, since since we've been kind of going off on tangents for a while, um, on page three, the Doctor says that he had to show Jordy all the instruments before he would be oh, able wow. to do the surgery. Right. Did he mean that literally? I had to show him because. Jordy's blind. <laughs> They're doing the surgery so that Jordy can see. Dot, wah, what are wah, you showing? Wah, wah. I'm sure he means so he could feel them. I don't know. He says I had to show him and now, describe what they did. He now, now, Jordy, this is a scalpel. Don't be careful with it. Oh, oh, you cut yourself. You're bleeding everywhere. Oh my gosh. This is a neuroscapel that we can use to cut out pieces of your brain. Go ahead and feel it all over. <laughs> but don't accidentally turn it on. Rub it on your head. <laughs> Anyways, I thought that was an odd choice of words for somebody who's Good performing an operation to give you sight. Good point. Good. Po- I'm sure he meant figuratively. I assume so too, but like I said, just an odd choice of words. Yeah. What else you got? Um, I think that the first attempt on the prince's life, uh, even though it seems a little overdone, I think I think that idea is great. Uh, that it, actually, I really what I really think is kind of cool is the Enterprise fire control system. Uh huh. You know, you have a fire, you basically suck all the oxygen out of the room, and that'll kill the fire immediately. I mean, that is so cool. I mean, you're in a spaceship, you have uh, life support systems. Just remove the oxygen. That when there's a fire, that makes so much sense. Well, they have server rooms and stuff like that here now that that pretty much do the same thing. I'm sure I'm sure we probably do, but I just think that idea is very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, how many times in uh, even in space stuff, uh, you know, even in Star Trek things, uh, you know, people are running around on the bridge with a with a fire extinguisher or something. You know, something that's kind of a fire extinguisher, right? Um, of course, you don't want to suck all the air out of the bridge, but <laughs> with people in it, you say? Yeah, oh, that's agrees. why we turned it off. The now triple I agrees. remember. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't trigger it. Hmm. I figured it would. Um, anyway, I just think that that's a good idea. I agree. Uh, and the fact but, that they would use just, that just as a to, murder instrument. Wait one second. To, to, to touch on that in the real life, yeah. When I was in Japan, uh, I was in a big server room that, right. that housed all the, 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 you know, the servers for mm-hmm. a building. Right. And you know they were they were telling me you know, the fire suppressant, you know, 
process there was for the door to lock. They showed me how it locked, and then uh, and then it's going to suck out all the air. And I'll be honest with you, when you're in that room, it's kind of creepy because it's like if they sense a fire while I'm in here, I'm dead. Not by fire, but because I'm going to suffocate. Exactly. <laughs> it's not a happy feeling. No, I mean. <laughs> Unless you have something to make sure that no one's in there, um, it seems like kind of a questionable uh, method right. of fire control. I mean, I was thinking, but, you know, Doctor Manhattan, you know, the door yes, shut. Yes, exactly, like exactly. Zapped. That anyway. that was a pretty cool disintegration in the movie. Yeah, in the comic book too. Well, yeah, it's a little, little two dimensional and static, but yes, right. yeah, the, the the drawing was really good in the comic. But I really like the uh, the special effects in the movie. Yeah, the movie, that movie's good. I watched it again last weekend. Yeah. Good stuff. Really good one. Um, so, something I wasn't really sure about. Where did Kane get off to when Worf interrupts him trying to murder Anders? Well, he went out the fire escape, went to the other side of the ship, and came back in his way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, did he hide in the closet? You know, uh, did he leave the room by a second door exactly as Worf was entering? Right. Um, did he beam off? Did he beam out? Right. Exactly. He does have a second, he has a confederate there. Um, it, just, it just struck me as um, odd. Right. Well, maybe Worf is just a really bad detective, and when he saw <laughs> when he saw Anders laying there, he just scooped Anders up and ran to secure uh, sick bay, and then you know, right, he came out from the closet or behind the the that you must know, have the, been it. the curtains or whatever, and it's like, whew. He had a flashback to the previous issue, you know, with Alexander in danger or something, and he just oh, scooped him up, and he cried as he was running back to <laughs> to sick bay and completely missed the murderer. <laughs> yeah, and then when the when he was telling the story about you know his he almost got away with it or whatever, weren't you kind of getting a Scooby Doo vibe? You know, <laughs> I almost would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those kids. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like oh like come it. on. I liked it. Yeah, that was good. I like how you slipped that in there. All right. Anything else? No. All right. So, out of these three issues, one of them was good. Even though it was completely predictable, you knew that's how it was going to end, but I still liked that one. The other two, I think, were duds. So, you mean uh, 43? Forty-three. I enjoyed yeah, it. Was, right. It was it was it was a predictable end to that story arc. Yep. Or it should have been the end of that story arc. <laughs> uh, even though it was predictable, it was still better than these other two. Right. Which is sad. Sorry, Michael Jane Friedman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, they can't all be winners. That's true. It's true. Sometimes you get a candy corn. You know. All right, I'm not. I've never heard that term. I mean, I've never heard that saying. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see the uh, movie Bad Santa? Uh, yes. Oh, where he's talking about putting like aspirin and stuff in the in the, uh, <laughs> the advent calendar. Advent calendar. Oh, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> that movie was disturbing 
on so many levels, but it was still entertaining to watch. Uh, it was. <laughs> it was very rude. He was very a very rude. bad Santa. He was a very bad Santa. And when I they... can't even imagine what the batter edit is. You know, they had a oh, unrated it version isn't. of batter Santa. It isn't any worse. I mean, well, it, so I have the DVD that was uh, supposed to be the batter one. It's like, I can't spot any differences. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I can't, I can't spot any differences. Yeah, that was a, that was an interesting movie. Yeah, it was pretty good. I liked it. All right, well, let's go into the expanded universe section of the show. Let's. Next Generation episodes, we always go over the Next Generation episodes that were coming out during these three months. All right, so the first episode that came out in February of 1993 was the Next Generation episode Aquiel, which, came, which is a season six episode. I have read on many, you know, best of, worst of lists of Next Generation episodes. Uh, this is often towards the the bottom of the worst of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't remember it very well. Right. It, it's basically a murder mystery. You know, you think it might be the Klingon. You think it might be the, the girl. No, it's the dog. The dog is a shape-changing being that kills people. Damn! It's not good wow i don't remember that at all <laughs> and i now i know why yes yeah it's not a very good one okay all right so we won't talk about it the next issue or <laughs> anymore episode, what's that <laughs> we've already talked about it yes yeah, like, moving, moving on trying to, trying to jog your memory and trying yeah. to jog maybe the listeners are reading right as well all right the next one was face of the enemy where troy dresses up as a romulan Yes. And there's a human that has defected to Romulus. Interesting episode. You don't ever think about a guy trying to get away from the Federation so he defects to, to Romulus. It was kind of an interesting idea. Right. And, and Troy looked fetching in a Romulan outfit, as I recall. She does. She does. With mm. those, those ears. Those ears, baby. <laughs> All right. The next one I think you've heard of. Oh, uh, yes. Tapestry. Excellent. Excellent episode. Yes. It's, That's uh, funny. Aquiel, and then two episodes later, Tapestry. <laughs> right. So I, I think the alternate name for Tapestry was Q's It's a Wonderful Life episode. <laughs> yes, that's that's very true. <laughs> that's very appropriate. I, I do like that one. I like how it shows you know how Picard's life would have gone differently. Exactly. Yeah, that was really good. And, and it, again, more information about Picard as a reckless youth. Right. Which was pretty, uh, pretty good. Which as is... A rec- as a reckless youth. <laughs> which they're kind of hitting... I mean, not, not Picard, but Kirk. Uh, they're hitting that on the last couple of issues we've read. Where Kirk's like saying, I wouldn't be the captain I was if I didn't take all those risks as a kid. Blah, blah, right. blah, blah. Right. Yeah, so... And then I thought it was very very cool showing... If Picard became timid and didn't take those risks, and what his role might be on the ship, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, isn't he like a doctor or something or scientist? I, he, he's like no, yeah, like a scientist or something, but no big deal. He's just right. a, a timid little little dweeby guy that's there that they hardly ever deal with. Right. He's another one of those faces in the background that aren't with the cool kids. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm, it's been a long time since I watched that. In that in that episode, Riker's the captain. Um, I, I 
think. I th- yeah, mm-hmm. I think so too. I think so. All right. All right. Finally, guys, come out of the Enterprise. Yeah, an alternate timeline. Exactly. All right. So the next episode was a two-parter, um, Birthright Part One and Part Two. Are you familiar with this one? Um, yes, I, I do remember bits of that. So, you know, one of the one of the biggest kind of cool things about this ish- episode is that it's a Deep Space Nine Next Generation crossover, kind of, nice. with yep. Bashir on the Enterprise, helping Data figure out some, was it a communication or something that, that Data got from soon? I'm trying to remember the specifics. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that there's two storylines going on with one with Data and Bashir, you know, finding out some message from Doctor Soon and right. Worf going off and trying to clear his father's name or find out if his father's still alive, something like that. Right. Yeah, I don't remember the details of the message where the message was from, but yeah. What's also cool about that episode is that um, oh, I forgot his name. Who played Cochrane in, in First Contact? Cromwell. Yeah. James Cromwell. James Cromwell, right. Yeah, so James Cromwell's in this episode and he plays an alien in full full blown Star Trek makeup. Right. He's like a, a pilot or something that takes Worf to the planet where his dad may or may not be alive. I don't remember that. I don't even think he has any lines, but it's definitely James Cromwell and uh he might have one line, I can't remember. Well, but I always thought it was funny that That's you know, an interesting cameo. He does that and then he ends up being uh, Cochrane. Yeah, and he's a decently well-known uh, actor. I mean, oh, yeah. I, definitely now. But even back then, I think he was. Yeah, well, I don't think he had. Don't think he had won his Academy Award yet at this point. What did he get the Academy Award for? Uh, babe. Oh, you're kidding me! Really? Yeah. Supp- best for supporting actor. Best supporting actor. Next to a pig. Next to a pig. <laughs> 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 yep, that's Zephyr Cochran. <laughs> That'll do, pig. That'll do. There you go. Cool. All right. So the next episode, Starship Mine. Remember this one, where some uh, some people try to steal the Enterprise while it's being sterilized. Yeah. Or they're trying to steal something on the Enterprise. I can't remember. They're trying to steal warp plasma or something stupid like that, and this beam is coming throughout the ship. Killing everything that it touches. I don't so remember that one very well. It was, it was not a great one. No. All right. The next one is lessons where Picard falls in love with one of his crew. Oh yes. And they just want to send her on away missions and stuff. And, right. right. And they have to call it quits. Poor Picard. Mm-hmm. Can never find any love. Oh. Except, except with Vaj or something. Oh, I was just about to say that. Oh, sorry. No, no, you're right. Also, in February of 1993, uh, Vosh shows up on Deep Space Nine ah. with Q in the Q-less episode. Right. Which we... We don't really talk about Deep Space Nine, but it is going on during this time. Cool. And it's 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 got some great episodes like that one. It does. I, I like Deep Space Nine. And I like anything with Vosh. She is a really handsome woman. Handsome woman? Handsome woman. Huh. She's yeah. hot. She's cute. She's very cute. She, right, she, then, she's kind of like, she's got a certain commanding, I don't know. A Sarah Connor kind of vibe? Uh, as in the TV series? I was thinking more of the movie. 
Oh, the movie? Yeah, I guess. I guess. What's Only, her name? I, I, you know, I, she's cute. Uh, the one that plays Sarah Connor in the movies. Um, she's just not Bosch. But, <laughs> but I oh. will say that the woman that plays Sarah Connor in the TV series, she's pretty cool. I like yeah. Her. What was her name? I, I don't remember the actress's name, but now she's in Game of Thrones, and she's really nasty in Game of Thrones. She's good. I need to watch that show. You should. She played the wife in 300. Yes, she did. I just I just saw 300 the other day, and I did not, and I remember that 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 the queen was really attractive, really hot, but I didn't I didn't realize that was her, but it was. Yes, you're right. It, it is her. It is her. Alright, so back to this. The last episode that came out during this time frame is The Chase. The Chase. You remember this one, right? Yes, exactly. Picard's doing his Indiana Jones thing. <laughs> uh, and taking the ship from one side of the galaxy to the or the quadrant to the other uh, in search of some archaeological thing that's supposed to give the ultimate knowledge or whatever. And power. And in the end... It goes ahead, and there's a projection of an alien race that supposedly predated all the existing races that they know about, and was actually mm, the, the the prototype. So they seeded the galaxy, right? And this was style, yeah, kinda. So th- <laughs> this is what explains why most all of the uh, life forms uh, that that they come into contact with have two arms and two legs, and more or less look, look humanoid. They look just like humans with just bits and bobs added to their face. Exactly. So these guys look really kind of smooth and stuff, and like, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the original ones. Right. And, uh, and so, so that's the reason, not because they've had a really bad budget. So. <laughs> right. And... and- while Picard is doing his Indiana Jones, instead of being tracked down by Nazis, he's being tracked down by <laughs> Klingons and Cardassians, who yeah. are also after this this mysterious artifact. Exactly, and and they all come together to be able to witness this original alpha life form that is saying hi to the kids. Yep. Yeah, this this episode reminded me a lot of Star Trek Five. Oh, yeah, but this wasn't God. It wasn't God, but it was the creator of life. <clears throat> creator of well, life on create... Earth. Well, it was it... So, oh, so that was it? They weren't just responsible for humanoid life. They were responsible for seeding life, period? I, uh, I, I didn't feeling that. that they seeded life, period. Oh, okay. I, I didn't remember that. Uh, I might be misremembering it. I just... Again, I, I was just getting a, you know, Star Trek Five vibe. <laughs> right. But not as right. not as bad as Star Trek Five, but Well, let's hope not. So you know so it was interesting that they tried to explain why Star Trek is a certain way with this episode, but Right. Mm. Yeah, it was good. I liked the episode. Yeah. yeah. Alright, well that's it for this episode of Star Trek comic book review. <laughs> So uh, we'll be back next week where we'll talk about original series issues 46 through 48. Looking forward to it. Yeah. I, 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 I like how we're bouncing back and forth. 
Um, I mean, we've been doing so for ages, but um, it's kind of nice mixing it up, even though yeah. we do have sometimes pretty long breaks between, um, you know, multi-issue story arcs. Right. But yeah, well, we did when we did our summer spectacular. We had a you know whole month in between two story yeah. arcs, but even more so. For the most part, we just bounced back week to week, and then peppered in with the ongoing episode every three months. But now we'll start peppering in a little bit of Deep Space Nine here pretty soon. Yes. So since the the Malibu Comics series uh, starts off pretty soon. Yeah, the few comics we've read so far were okay. Uh, I don't yeah, remember them good. being phenomenal, but I am looking forward to getting back to Cisco uh, and Company. Right. I did. I did like those stories. And uh, Malibu Comics and DC Comics did a crossover where they did a Deep Space Nine Next Generation crossover, which is actually really good. Good. Okay. So uh, we'll be doing cool. that here in a couple of months, I think. And I'm glad they did stuff like that. Yeah. Since they don't <laughs> ever really do it on the show itself. You know, like I said, that, that Bashir showing up on the Enterprise was right. the closest we ever got to a crossover. Right. And they're all in the same time period, so it's like, why not? Right. And and the movies, uh, some of the movies, definitely did pick up, like, Insurrection, on the idea that, like, of things that were going on elsewhere in the Federation, namely the Dominion War. Right. So they do acknowledge that they're all, you know, kind of in lockstep. Right. Um, kind of, because he does also say that they make Ketracel white in the Federation on, in this Briar Patch thing, and I'm like, what? Because that was something that was made in the uh, Beta Quadrant or wherever the Dominion were from. But oh, at least they tried. Right. Right. Right, right, right. Cool. Okay. Anyways. Well. All right. Well, with the triple, I think he's saying that we need to get going. <laughs> he's saying goodbye until next episode. Yep. So see you later, guys. Bye. Thanks for joining us. And uh, looking forward to seeing you next week on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.